This is Haik Balian, and you are listening to the Beijing Sessions podcast. Today, I talked to Shannon Bufton. When I moved to Beijing, I didn't know about the cycling here. It is, it's awesome. I mean, Beijing is flat, but it's surrounded by mountains. The cycling here is world class. And Shannon's company, Cirque, opened that up for me. Uh, so we talk about the bicycles that he designs and makes in Beijing and the really cool bike tours that he and his partner uh, lead in China and, and beyond. But before that, um, I had teased in June an announcement, um, and I can reveal part of that announcement right now. I have teamed up with Mark Dreyer, who is the China Sports Insider, to produce a podcast all about sports with a China angle. It's called the China Sports Insider Podcast, and honestly, I'm really lucky to be working with Mark. He he really knows his stuff, and he's so passionate about sport and about sports in China. And because it's the Olympics, and there's a lot to talk about, we've already recorded a couple of episodes, and and you can find them on most podcast players. Just search for the China Sports Insider Podcast. But um, that's just a temporary home. There is one more shoe. That is going to drop. It's not official yet, but we're inching toward a new home. And when that does become official, I will let you know here and on Twitter, Facebook, wherever you follow me. Okay,、uh, here is Shannon Bufton. One of the perks of living in China is the cycling. The city itself is super flat and full of bike lanes, so getting around on two wheels is very easy. But if you drive two hours in pretty much any direction outside of Beijing, you'll find some of the some of the most stunning mountain routes in the world. I know this because I've gone on rides organized by Cirque Cycling. Besides organizing day tours and multi-day tours, Cirque also designs and sells their own bicycles. Shannon Bufton is the owner and director of Cirque.、Uh, he is with me in studio in Beijing. Shannon, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for inviting me.、I'm、really looking forward to this. You call Beijing one of the world's best unfound cycling destinations. What makes Beijing one of the world's best unfound cycling destinations?、Um, I think that comes down to one major factor, which is the local government's ability to spend money on repaving roads.、Um, I've been riding now in Beijing for over ten years. And I still haven't ridden on all the paved roads in the mountains of Beijing. It just every year continues to expand, and the mountains go on in、uh, three directions for quite some hundreds of kilometers. So there's just a plethora of、uh, amazing roads and amazing scenery in our backyard here to to ride. So, so what are your favorite routes? Ooh,、uh, I have I have new favorite routes.、Um, Every kind of six months, because we're constantly out exploring new locations. So, I just came back from、um, Hebei,、uh, sort of about an hour past the border with Beijing, and I was just blown away there.、Uh, another type of scenery, getting up to two thousand two hundred meters in height, and、um, a whole bunch of new concrete roads that have been、um, constructed there. And、uh, that scenery is just reminds me of Xinjiang. Actually, it's a lot like. Xinjiang, so that's my new favorite route at the moment because I'm itching to get back there and、uh, and ride. So it's just on the outside of Beijing. But how have you been getting the word out about Beijing? It's been a it's been a really slow process, but、um, 
thankfully there have been a couple of interesting events happen here like there was a, a world tour cycling event called the tour of beijing that run from 2014 i think to 2017 and that brought the world's best cyclists here to to beijing for a three or four day stage race and uh, that helped a lot to to get beijing on the map and then you know as an international city you have a lot of uh, cyclists coming here on business and it's not normal for them to think to put Beijing cycling uh, into Google, the two words together, because they're usually they're putting in Beijing pollution, Beijing shitty roads, Beijing uh, whatever third world situation. Um, uh, so some of them do actually put in Beijing and cycling together and then they find us and then they're absolutely blown away. And of course, those people go back, tell their friends, and then their friends come, and slowly the word starts to spread. So, what what would you say is the biggest misconception misconception about um, cycling in China? Well, the biggest misconception I think is just that so many people from outside China just don't understand how amazing the natural beauty here is and how diverse it is. I mean, I remember when I first came here, I I thought China was basically the Great Wall, and then just big cities. Um, I just didn't expect there to be amazing landscapes like, you know, Tibet and Sichuan and Gansu and all of those um, amazing places. So, yeah, people just don't really uh, don't really know what's here. And then, of course, there's a lot of negative press about the um, the air air pollution problems in China. So, everyone expects well, if there is anything good, it's going to be horrible to to ride in and not really a place that you'd have high on your list for recreation. But, you know, once you get out of the cities, it's pretty amazing. Let's talk about your bikes for a bit. Um, So you started off selling bicycles at your store, uh, but somewhere along the way, you started designing bicycles as well. Um, Why did you start designing your own bicycles? Well, we started uh, doing some pretty hardcore adventure trips. Um, We did uh, trips in Tibet um, and in the west of Sichuan where the road conditions at that stage weren't so good. Um, and I did a couple of personal projects in really remote areas uh, in Sichuan on dirt roads. And um, back then I wanted a bike that had more capability um, in terms of what it could do. I wanted a bike that I could sort of throw on the back of a truck um, that would survive a, a beating. I wanted a bike that I could travel with and not really worry about um, and something that would sort of take any type of conditions so yeah at that stage there wasn't anything available like that in in china and globally there was just a new trend starting with gravel and adventure bikes um so we thought we would design and build the first ones here in china so we did that and now you know we have different bikes that are suitable for the different types of adventures that we do so how, how do you, like, so you built a bunch of prototypes, right? For each one, you, you design these prototypes. So how do you, like, how do you even start to design the design process for, for one of these bicycles? Um, well, I mean, bicycles have been around for, for a long time. And, you know, over my uh, career as a, as a competitive cyclist and an um, amateur cyclist, I've ridden a lot of different bikes. So I already had some ideas before I started designing bikes of what I liked and and what I wanted. So the starting point was just to think about those bikes that I've ridden that I really enjoyed and the bikes that had the type of characteristics that I wanted. And then of course you go and find um, a good 
production partner. I mean, we've been thinking about doing our own brand for many, many years in China, and we've been looking around and talking to different production partners, but it wasn't until the last couple of years that we really found people who were interested in what we were doing, which is more boutique and small scale and really interested in quality and pushing the boundaries a little bit. So before you'd go to factories and it would be like, okay, order a thousand and then we can start talking. Um, now those factories have matured a little bit and they're interested in pushing the boundaries, um, especially with technology. So yeah, we found a, um, a partner that knew a lot more about the material than we did um, and had you know, tremendous experience in terms of the number of bikes that they've actually built and had been out in the world. So they knew how far we could push the limits. Um, so and, was, and, that's, and that's titanium. That's titanium, that's right, yeah. So then it was just a matter of combining our, our design ideas um, and then talking with the engineers to push them as far as they would go and then building the first prototypes and going out and testing them on the frontiers and seeing, seeing if we made it back. What, what, was that, what was that like the first time you took a prototype out into the mountains? Can you, can you describe that? Um, the first time um, was, was pretty special. I mean, as a kid, I um, had dreamt of being a, a pro cyclist and I, I wanted to work part-time in a bike shop and any spare time that I had that I wasn't studying, I was spent in the bike shop or studying bikes. And to kind of, to look down and see the bike that I was riding that I'd actually designed, it was like one of those moments in life where you're like, okay, everything's been <laughs> been worth it to get to this point. And you know, the riding a bicycle when you get everything in, in tune is a beautiful thing, especially when you're going downhill and, and flying through switchbacks. Um, so that kind of harmony between rider and, and bicycle and road is a just a magical moment. I mean, I always liken it to, to playing music because I'm also I used to be a musician when I was younger. It's like when you get in that band and everything's just jamming right, um, you, you feel these moments where you're at one with something else um, that's really beautiful. So you get that on a bike too. And those were one of the, that was one of those moments when I rode my first Cirque bike. When I'm at these rides that, that Cirque organizes, there's a diversity of backgrounds. Um, there's lots and lots of foreigners, but there's also a lot of Chinese. Um, Obviously, cycling has a very long history in Beijing um, as a way to commute, right? Um, and, that's, and that's still really strong today. Just all you have to do is take a look at the 800,000 share bikes on the road. But how has cycling evolved in China as a recreational activity uh, since you've been here? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's evolving very quickly now. And, um, but it took quite some time to get there. Uh, when we when we started out, um, it was that period of Beijing. It was around ten years ago. Whereas when you went at that time, when you went behind any um, apartment block, you would find piles of old flying pigeons, just sort of stacked up, collecting dust. No one cared about the bicycle. It was pretty much extinct, and everyone was buying a a scooter or, if they could afford it, a car. Um, so our Chinese friends. Um, advised us at that stage you're crazy to be starting a bike business it's the end of the era you've you've come like 30 40 years too late and we're like no 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 no. we think it will will have a revival um that's actually where our name cirque comes from it's derivative from c-i-r-c um, which is from cir circle for wheel and 
um, circular for the bike culture coming back in um, in China. Anyway, so uh, back then there was not much happening with recreational cycling. I mean, as expats when we went out to the to the roads of Beijing um, to ride, there would hardly be any other uh, recreational cyclists, and hardly even any cars out there. Uh, but slowly, slowly they started to to get out there and, and ride first with mountain bikes and then with road bikes, and then I think around about two thousand. 14, 15, when the Tour of Beijing started, which was a government initiative, there was also a huge push uh, from the government for the media to start covering cycling as a as a healthy, fun uh, way to get around and as a recreational activity. And there was one point I remember wa- walking past the newsstand and around about five of the magazines had bicycles on the cover. And at that stage, we were getting interviews every second week from people wanting to have a story about, about the bike. Um, but there was a huge media push towards making cycling a little bit more sexy again. Then you had the share bike revolution, which um, kind of got rid of the stigma of of riding a bike to the office or riding a bike on a night out. Everyone just kind of got on it and did it because it was cool and kind of newbie. And uh, and that also really changed people's perception and put the bicycle front and center. And now if you go out to the major mountain roads in Beijing, um, there'll be hundreds of cyclists riding up there on... Uh, recreational bikes having fun so it's really grown tremendously in the past couple of years your bikes are you know they they started around 14,000 rmb which is a you know which is for the frame which is just over two thousand dollars which is you know a significant um investment for for a lot of people um what 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 type of bicycles are people buying here What what are they what are they using that's also changing so you know it started off maybe five six years ago where it was just mostly mountain bikes low-end mountain bikes from, from Giant and Merida, which were, uh, you know, three to 5,000 RMB. Then it went up and then people started getting into road bikes around the ten to 15,000 mark. And now I would say the average value of new bikes being sold to Chinese consumers is more like twenty to 25,000 RMB. Wow. So it moves very quickly here as do many things in the consumer world. Yeah, absolutely. So, so until recently, I, I only rode a mountain bike as well. Um, and, and being here and doing the circuit rides, it was pretty clear that um, if I wanted to keep up with the pack, I, um, I'd have to bite the bullet and buy a road bike. Now, I didn't, I didn't want to spend $2,000 on it, though. So I bought my bike at Decathlon. Should I feel bad about that? No, not at all. Actually, we should feel bad that we're not making more bikes that are affordable. Um, I think that you know, cycling does have a little bit of a problem that the entry barrier is very high. And um, we, uh, you know, we would prefer actually to see more people on bikes rather than less people on more expensive bikes. Um, but uh, we, we also um, have a kind of market position which we're which we're happy with at the moment to build our business. So maybe in the future we'll do some more affordable bikes. But Decathlon make great bikes, like best value for money. Um, they're also now doing, have professional designers working in their team in their bike department, and they're really, really good bikes. So I think we'll start seeing the entry uh, price for bikes across the market sort of come down because it's now becoming a more mainstream um, activity, people getting around town on it, riding in the mountains on the weekends. So it's sure 
that prices will, will start coming down and making it more accessible. Besides designing and selling your own bicycles and running these day trips uh, from Beijing, you also organize these epic multi-day rides. And um, you know, just looking through your site, uh, one of them pops up. Uh, sorry, one of them pops out to me: um, the Everest ride. It looks amazing. So you're climbing up to over five thousand meters, five kilometers. I don't know what that is in miles. What's the best thing about this ride? I think the best thing is getting there, getting off your bike, and taking the selfie and going done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a very tough. Um, it's a very tough challenge. Many of us have, um, you know, think about uh, Everest as a kind of pinnacle, um, metaphorically in, in many many ways. So the ability to ride your bike through Tibet, through the Tibetan landscape, through the Tibetan culture, um, and end up finishing the journey at Everest Base Camp is a pretty spectacular way to spend a couple of weeks so um the the best point of the best part of that um adventure is actually the journey because you there are a lot of ups and downs um you know emotionally physically and also geographically you go over numerous passes that are five thousand meters high and that is very difficult um you you spend sometimes an hour and a half or two hours slowly crawling your way up a climb and then you get to the top and there's a strong wind blowing and you have to jump into the support vehicle to get warm sometimes there's um you know freak uh rainstorms and so on um and you really you feel like you're on the extremes of the of the planet um but to get through all of that uh and then to come around that last bend and see everest revealed in front of you it's a pretty special thing and many people actually burst into tears at that at that moment. Um, and I think that's com a combination of the physical effort required and the spirituality of Tibet, which you really feel when you're riding through its elements for a couple of weeks. So yeah, it's a it's a really special trip. Have Have you ever had people who just didn't realize what they were in for, and they just realized it when they were on the on the road? Yeah, well, we have one. There's one story that I always tell, which is um, this Indian uh, expat who uh, she was in her 20s and she enthusiastically signed up for one of our early trips. And uh, she was living in Shanghai, not in Beijing. So we didn't get a chance to ride with her on a regular basis. So she arrived uh, at the airport in, um, in Linjo, where the, where the trip starts. And she she comes out of the her bike comes out of the carousel, and it's in a brand new bike box. And I said to her, "Oh, wow, you got a really nice cardboard box for your bike." She said, "Yes, yeah, my bike. I haven't opened it yet." I'm like, "What do you mean you haven't opened it?" She said, "Oh, yeah, I haven't ridden it yet." I'm like, "Oh, right. <laughs> do you realize that you're going to be riding one of the toughest uh, multi-day?" bike uh, road bike trips you can do on the planet and she's like yeah yeah but i've been riding to work i'll be fine oh no oh no um but she was um luckily she was one of those people that adapted to altitude incredibly well even some of the fittest people have yeah. difficulties altitude but she was just a natural yeah so the first days she had the normal cyclist problem of having a sore butt after you know 60 or 70 kilometers but then she pretty quickly adapted and she actually made it all the way to, to Everest Base Camp and everything wow. was fine. Wow. So she was an absolute hero to be able to do that. 
uh, another ride that you have on your website is is the North Korea ride. I know you haven't had a chance to scout it, but that's something that I would. I mean, I have been. I lived in South Korea for a long time. I, I can. I have this strong affinity for South Korea, and I've always wanted to go to the North. And what a way to do that! Actually, besides the North Korea trip, what's been COVID's impact on Cirque? It's had an impact in two ways. So last year, 2020, uh, our trips were all booked out by guests who were flying into China. So we also do, we had a trip to, to North Korea that was sold out. We also do a couple of trips to Kyrgyzstan uh, along the old Silk Road on, on dirt gravel bikes. They were also sold out and our Everest trips all sold out. So when COVID came, um, the, the cancellation started coming through and we thought that was probably going to be the end of our um, of our trip business, um, but then, you know, the reverse of the borders being closed is that there are a lot of people in China who can't go out to travel, and so we were able to basically pick up um, the clients who couldn't come in from within China, and our travel business trip business has been going going well through through COVID, and luckily here in China most of the time we've been able to move around. So we've done trips in remote parts of Yunnan and Sichuan, and we'll do another Everest trip this October. Uh, so luckily things here are well enough uh, sorted out that you can still move and have been able to move since last year. So Cirque's impact isn't just in China. Uh, you're also sponsoring a cycling club in Uganda. How, how did you get involved in that? Um, that's, a, that's a kind of interesting coincidence. Um, just before COVID hit, I was in Australia, which is my home country. And um, my parents live in a seaside town, which is renowned for its uh, outdoor activities. So there's a lot of endurance cyclists and runners and surfers and all sorts of sports people there. So I, I saw this flyer uh, for a talk about the Masaka Cycling Club, which is an initiative in Uganda uh, to help uh, young Ugandan athletes uh, reach the the pro levels of, of cycling. And also it's a community initiative to help build a community house and provide um, an ability to inspire the people in the community to, to achieve their, their goals through, through sport. So it just so happened that the, the person who was um, behind that initiative was from, from the town where my parents were. So I went along and had a chat um, and they were right at the beginning of the project. And I just realized that um, there was many things that we could do in Beijing to to support that because you know China Africa links are quite strong, and we have an amazing community of people here in in Beijing who um, are part of our brand, um, and they're always looking for ways to support good causes. So in the past we've helped the Mongolian junior women's team get some bikes, and this time um, these riders in Masaka were were looking for some. For some funding so we thought we'd we'd help out what kind of support are you providing uh so they made the, the masaka cycling club made a call for uh to get some gravel bikes uh to two of uh uganda's top riders because there's a special race that I th is happening actually this week it's called the migration gravel race and it's where the world's best gravel racers are going to go to kenya and race against the the east african locals on their own soil so they're going to be camping in tents um, there's going to be no masses, there's going to be no support vehicles. It's just like when the Africans go to Europe to race against the Europeans and they don't have their own people and support or food. So it's the reverse of that. 
So uh, I think this will be probably the most interesting race to to watch if it was televised this year. Uh, so you can imagine there's a whole bunch of Africans who are going there to race the world's best because they all want to get uh, get spotted. And then you've got the um, the wild animals of Africa that are tr- problematic, uh, and then you have the weather, and there's a special type of mud there that apparently is unique, that's super sticky, and that the locals are going to have a good opportunity to understand how to navigate the best. So, so the club was looking for some bikes um, to give the Ugandan riders an equal opportunity to compete with the world's best. So we make some world-class gravel bikes, so we decided to donate um, two frames. And then we held a fundraising event uh, this Chinese New Year in Beijing where Beijing-based riders uh, had to ride 400 kilometers in over Chinese New Year, and then they, they raised money um, to pay for the rest of the parts for the bikes. And unfortunately, two um, valued member, members of our community died in the past couple of years, so we decided to um, honour them by naming the bikes after those two, two guys and kind of giving them this romantic idea of giving them a free, a new spirit uh, to be kind of riding across the plains of Africa. So the bikes were um, were sent a few months ago and the riders have been training on them and they won their first race. Wow. I'm not sure if you saw the footage of that, but it was a huge party with the rider being uh, carried across the crowd and huge cheers and really making a significant impact to that community. So how much riding do you do these days? These days, I'm actually not doing so much. Um, since uh, the middle of last year, I've had a little bit of a a health issue with my heart so I'm just riding to and from work and doing the occasional longer ride on the weekend just for fun but I'm really dialed down my kilometers from you know around about seven or eight thousand a year to 30 a week now that must be really difficult it is quite difficult um because I've been you know riding for many decades and that was part of who I am um so to not be able to ride uh, has been mentally quite challenging. But at the same time, it's given me uh, a lot of new areas to focus on. So um, firstly, I have, you know, I have, because of my heart condition, I have less energy. So in the business, I need to really focus on what absolutely has to be done and not waste time. I also have to take days off, relax um, and and have a bit of recreation that's not involving pumping pedals at 40 kilometers an hour. Uh, so all of those things have been great challenges to to, to undertake. Um, and now I'm sort of redefining my, my role um, as a cyclist and so using it more as a way to, to unwind um, and exploring at a, at a slower place, pace rather than being competitive and trying to go the longest distance and the fastest speed. That was Shannon Bufton. Uh, if you're in China, follow Cirque on WeChat. That's Cirque spelled S-E-R-K. Or go to uh, the website CirceCycling.com. Next week, I talk to Harry Reid. He led the Ogilvy Advertising Group when they first came to China back in 1979. So Ogilvy just released a new book uh, here in China about their work. I haven't spoken to Harry yet, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to say. 
So I'll be back a week from now.